0: Well, good morning again. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to not only worship with you guys, and you sang great, by the way. Um, That sounded really, really nice. Um, New Church, this is a a foretaste of glory divine, is what we have here. Um, You know, a little bit of stage, a little bit of uh, sound, somebody running the sound. (laughs) A microphone stand fell over and somebody else came up and fixed it. I'm going to have a tear. Um, we, uh, we meet um, in, in, a, in a place, where, and, and we have lawn chairs, and we don't have a stage, and we are at the very humble beginnings of what you guys have already been doing for a year or so. And so this is a, a great, great privilege and honor for us to be here this morning. Um, and so I appreciate um, everything that uh, Pastor Aaron and Oikos, um, you guys, and the elders have been doing to help us with this new church that we're starting. Um, because it, 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 it's, it's, it's been glorious, and it's been a lot of work, um, it's, but it's been wonderful. Um, and I'm here this morning because the leaders of Oikos have agreed to send me, as an extension of your ministry, to plant a church in Katy. And so Pastor Aaron asked me if I would share a little bit about what God has been doing with New Church. And the really short version of this story of how we got here is that after being a leader at Crosspoint for 11 years, some people approached me and asked if I might be interested in starting a new church in the Katy area. And the truth is, planting a church from scratch was the furthest thing from my mind. I was actually just trying to figure out what I was gonna do next. And I assumed that my immediate future was probably taking a position at another big church and continuing to do the kind of things that I had been doing, just doing it somewhere else. But God had different plans, and he kept sending people to me to let me know what those plans were. My daughter, Vaughn, she said, "'Dad, I think you should start your own church.'" You could do the music. You could teach the message. And then eventually, Angel and me, we could be in the band, and we could help with the music. And she's got it all plotted out. I explained to her that starting a new church is risky business. It's a lot of hard work. And a lot of times, it just doesn't go anywhere. I've been part of two other church startups. And neither of those exist anymore. But she wasn't the only one who brought this up. Kemper Crabb, my longtime friend, mentor, and partner in ministry, he took me to lunch one day. And he said that he thought I should consider starting a church in Katy. And that if I did, he would be willing to help me if I wanted him to. Cindy Thompson, Scott Bouchel, Rachel and Jeremy Ryder, Austin Evans, all former members of Crosspoint, they came to me one at a time. And asked if I would be interested in starting some kind of new church in Katy. And each one of them said that they would be willing to be part of it if I did. I still wasn't feeling it though. But God was starting to get inside my head with all of these conversations. One night I had a dream about starting this new church. And I saw the location where we had set up. I saw the congregation how the stage was set up, the lights, the sound, and then I woke up and I thought, hmm, that would actually work. So the next day I contacted the owner of the facility that I had seen in my dream, and I figured that he would shut down the idea, say no, and that would be the end of it. But I met with Trace and Tammy, Tammy Boyd at the lab the next evening, and I told them about my dream and about the idea of starting a new church and how several people had been talking with me about the idea, and I, I expected them to politely refuse me so that I could go back to figuring out what I was really going to do with the rest of my life. But they loved the idea, and they started finishing my sentences, and before I left that night, they were on board. Part of the church gave me keys to the building, mikasa sukasa, and they were part of this new church idea. So then I reached out to the Texas district to see if I could still be part of the LCMS, and they suggested that I talk with Pastor John Davis at Memorial Katy, since it was a church in. Uh, We would be in their backyard. So I did that, and he suggested that I talk with Pastor Aaron. Because for some reason, Pastor Davis thought Aaron might know a thing or two about planting a church with some people from a previous ministry that is nearby that previous ministry. He thought Aaron might be able to help us avoid certain problems and maybe navigate the tricky waters that we were about to enter. So I called up Aaron, and he was happy to meet, me, to, to meet with me, but he di- I didn't tell him what, what I wanted to discuss. So when we sat down at his house, I said, you're probably wondering what this meeting's all about. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, but I, I'll tell you what I hope it's about. I said, okay, well, what do you hope it's about? And then he told me that he hoped I was there to talk about starting a new church. Those were his exact words. So by this time, all the doubt about whether I was supposed to do this or not was pretty much gone. It seemed to me that God had made his will very clear by the encouragement and the testimony of at least 10 people. He had given me what I believe was a prophetic dream and things started parting like the Red Sea with signs and wonders. In a very short time, we had a name, a vision for where we were going, a place to meet, and we were meeting on Saturday nights. The first time we met, we had about 25 people. The next Saturday, we had about 40. We've met for the last 29 weeks, and we've had as many as 170 people. We usually have between 60 and 80 people. We meet for worship, to hear God's word sacraments, we pray together, and then we hang out for a BYOB potluck, and we sit around in lawn chairs, and we get to know each other. And it has been the most incredible and amazing thing. God has shown us such favor and blessing at every turn. He continues to send people to us to join our launch team and to send us the financial resources so that we can move ahead Quickly, confidently. I expect that we're going to launch publicly sometime later this fall. We'll invite the 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 whole community to join us, and we will start becoming the ministry that God has called us to be. You know, it's like I had a jigsaw puzzle of this new church, but it was in a box and it didn't have a picture on the box. And I threw it up in the air, and it landed on the floor. I mean, not completely assembled but enough so that I could kind of tell what it was supposed to look like. See, we believe that we're supposed to be a new kind of church based on some very old ideas. We'll worship God in a way that attracts the community of Katy and the surrounding area and accepts them and makes them feel welcome. And then we'll love people by introducing them to the grace and the forgiveness of God. Discipling them to follow Jesus wherever He leads them. Worship God, love people. Almost every Wednesday morning, I get together with Pastor Aaron and we pray together. We talk about Oikos and New Church. And I think we have the start of a great friendship, man. And I'm very thankful that God has placed you in my life. I hope this is the beginning of a long season of following Jesus together. And I look forward to the ways that our two congregations can partner in this great mission that God has called us both to do. This morning, I'm going to be continuing in your series, When Duty Calls. And the big idea for this morning is prophecy. Does God still speak to his people through prophets? Who are modern-day prophets? What is prophecy? Am I a prophet? Are you? The text is from Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the Isle of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia, We sighted the Isle of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. It's interesting to note that the author, Luke, is an eyewitness to all of these things. Everything is said as, we did this and we did that. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city, came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. So, as they're hanging out with the believers in Tyre, The Holy Spirit warns them not to go on to Jerusalem. It says, these believers prophesied, which means it was more than one of them that prophesied. Maybe it was all of them that gave the prophecy. But after a week, they get back on the boat and they continue heading towards Jerusalem. What was Paul thinking? Is he ignoring the Holy Spirit? Let's keep reading. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So... There's a lot going on in this passage. let Let me point out just a few things. First, we've seen Philip the evangelist before. He's one of Stephen's deacons who stepped up to take care of the Greek widows. And he's also the same guy who explained the connection of Jesus and the scroll of Isaiah to the Ethiopian eunuch and then baptized him. So, given that this guy was so quick to speak up and to minister in the name of the Lord, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that his children were also bold to speak the truth. We're told that he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. And I think this settles a few important issues for us if we simply let the Bible reveal reality to us. It shows us that the church still has prophets and that God speaks through them. It shows us that the ability to prophesy is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and the gift is available to both men and women. But what does a prophet do? See, sometimes people only understand the role of a prophet to be someone who foretells the future. When we think of prophecy, we usually think of people like Nostradamus or the book of Revelation. We think of prophets as fortune tellers, but the biblical role of a prophet is quite different from the mythic seers and oracles who read the omens and tea leaves because a biblical prophet speaks for God. A biblical prophet tells God's message to the people. He tells the truth and nothing but the truth. Historically, though, True prophets of God aren't really popular with the people, and they're often put to death. I think there's probably a connection between Philip the Evangelist's daughters having the gift of prophecy and being unmarried. Because, let's face it, speaking the unfiltered truth is usually not the way to charm potential suitors. Church history tells us that Philip was buried along with his unmarried daughters at Heropolis. Now, we're not told what those four daughters said to Paul, but I'm guessing it didn't contradict Agabus. Agabus, the melodramatic prophet of belt-nabbing. You know, you get the sense that Agabus was one of those wild, Ted Nugent kind of personalities. He makes a big, gigantic entrance Walks over to Paul, removes his belt. That had to be a strange moment. Ties his hands and feet. You know, you think about this you can't tie your hands and feet in a quiet, polite way that doesn't interrupt conversation. You kind of have to fall on the floor and hogtie yourself. I'm guessing that Agabus was a little bit of a freak. But that puts him in really good company when it comes to prophets. For example, um, Isaiah is is a very well-respected prophet of God. But God told him to walk around for three years naked as a jaybird to be a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles that he would bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. But when it comes to prophets who use props, Ezekiel is really the patron saint of prop prophets. It's a thing. Think about it. God told Ezekiel to eat the Bible, tie himself up with ropes, make a model of Jerusalem, lay on his left side for one year, lay on his right side for 40 days to bake a loaf of bread using his own poop for the fire, to which Ezekiel said, come on, God, really? Poop? So God said, okay, okay, fine. Use cow dung instead. Hmm. See, sometimes the prophets did crazy things to get people's attention and to make a point. But Jesus seems to be quite fond of Ezekiel. Think about it. He also called himself the son of man. The ministry of Jesus can be understood as prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. He's the ultimate expression of all three. He's the king of kings, the priest of priests, and the prophet of prophets. And we learn the message of God not only from what Jesus said, but also from the things he did. Prophets, they often had to act things out in order to get the point across. And Jesus didn't just tell us the truth. He showed us the truth. He lived the perfect life. He was crucified, raised to life, ascended into heaven. See, he's our example, and we imitate him even as we follow him and listen to him. So Agabus is acting out his prophecy. He's laying on the floor. His hands and feet are tied with Paul's belt. And he's saying, the owner of this belt will be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And this causes quite a reaction. Luke and everyone who's there, they're all in tears. And they're begging Paul to change his mind about going. And Paul hears them loud and clear. But he explains to them, that he's actually more determined to go than ever. He basically says, look, God has told us that when I go to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to tie me up and give me to the Romans. You're breaking my heart, guys, but remember, they did the same thing to Jesus. So I'm ready to be tied up, jailed. Heck, I'm ready to die if that's what God is calling me to do. See, Paul was a prophet too, and although he believed that God was clearly warning him about what would happen in Jerusalem, he also knew that God still wanted him to go. So in this case, it seems like the prophecy was intended to protect them from losing faith when that mission looks like a failure. It appears that God gave them this prophecy to strengthen their faith. So that when the bad things happen, they would trust God more instead of being tempted to trust Him less. You see that? Have you had any experience with prophecy yourself? I've had some. See, I didn't grow up in the church, but at age 14, I had a conversion experience. And I started going to a local Pentecostal church. And I learned to follow Jesus there. And I felt an internal call to go into full-time ministry. So after graduating from high school in 1982, I went to Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and I studied there to be a pastor. But while I was there, I started having success in music, and I followed that path for the next 30 years or so. There was a point right after I graduated from Central Bible College um, that my band had an opportunity to work with a music production company in Houston. And this was, this was a crazy long shot. There was no guarantee of success. There was no promise of pay. It was just a potential opportunity. And Kim and I, I mean, we were agonizing over whether or not to move to Texas. And then one Sunday at church, a man walked up to me after church um, and he said, I never do this kind of thing, but I really feel like God wants me to say something to you. Um, I didn't know this guy, but I had heard this kind of thing before. See, the charismatic churches, they kind of encourage this sort of thing. Usually it goes one of two ways. Either it'll be a pseudo-psalm, pseudo-psalm, where the person will speak in King James English while saying Bible sounding babble like the Lord is in his holy temple and shall say to thee that he shall smite thee with mercy and kindness unto the fifth generation which thou hast not seen nor ear hath not heard. It's usually something that sounded like it could make sense but without actually saying anything in particular and probably coming off just a little insane in the process. But other times it would be just like vague advice or criticism dressed up as a word from the Lord. But the message would either be as ambiguous as, as a horoscope or some kind of passive-aggressive rebuke for something they just didn't like about me. Using God to say something they didn't have the nerve to say on their own. So I thought, no matter which way this is about to go, it's about to get awkward. So I braced myself. The man continued speaking. He said, "Uh, yeah, I know this completely sounds crazy, but anyway, if this helps, great. If it doesn't make sense, don't worry about it. He actually didn't seem to be nuts. And then he said, you are thinking about moving someplace far away, and God wants you to know that door is now open. So I took the guy by the arm and I took him over to Kim and, and I had him tell her what he just told me. It Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like this kind of stuff doesn't happen, It doesn't happen. Well, then about a week later, Kim and I were at a mall and we were just minding our own business, trying to ignore the insane idea of getting in our dilapidated Ford van and driving a thousand miles away from everything we know. When this pleasant, very normal looking lady approaches the two of us right there in the middle of the mall, she says, I'm sorry, this might sound crazy to you, and it certainly feels very crazy to me, but I'm just going to say it. You're supposed to move to Houston. That's what she said. And then she looked embarrassed. She said, I'm sorry, I don't know if that made any sense or meant anything to you, but I believe that God wanted me to say that to you. So long story short, we moved to Houston. But we didn't have any money, and we were going to stay with some friends until we could get on our feet. And then when we showed up on our friend's doorstep, they said they had changed their mind, and we weren't welcome to stay with them anymore. So we're a 1,000 miles from home, nowhere to stay. And even if we wanted to just get back in our van and turn around and go back, we barely had enough money to pay for the gas to drive back. But God had told us to move here. So something's bound to work out, right? Man, we were so naive. I thought, well, let's just go get an apartment without jobs or money. I mean, So what do you think happens next? We park our van, and we walk into the first apartment complex that we come to. And there's a lady sitting behind the desk, and I can still remember the way this office looked. It was cluttered, and she was still wearing her house coat. As we walk in the door, she looks up from her pile of scattered paperwork, and she stares at me like she's looking at a ghost. And after a short pause, she says, God told me you were coming. You're a musician, aren't you? I'm not even going to run a credit check. Follow me. I'll show you your apartment. She grabs some keys, and she starts walking out the door. She motions for us to follow her. She says, it's $220 a month, and I only need your first month's rent. I'll even waive the security deposit because God told me you were coming. This apartment was a two-bedroom, 1,100-square-foot gift from heaven. We lived there for over five years. And since it had so much space, we were able to use it to start a house church. We let people live with us from time to time when they needed to. See, those crazy people who were willing to listen to God, take a risk to speak and act on his behalf, they changed our life. I would not be here this morning without them. The guy who spoke to me after church, the, the lady from the mall, the apartment manager in her house coat, my daughter, Kemper, Cindy, Scott, Rachel, Jeremy, Austin, Trace, Tammy, and a lot of other people, including your pastor, Aaron. All of them obeyed the Lord, and they spoke to me On his behalf. All of them, all of them exercise the gift of prophecy. Have you ever taken one of those spiritual gift inventory personality quizzes? You know what I'm talking about? Well, every time I take one of those, after I answer a bunch of questions, it tells me that I'm a prophet and probably a bit of a jerk. Okay, it doesn't actually say I'm a jerk, but it also never says that I'm one of the nice, sweet, gentle, kind, mercy, shepherd, helper, extra loving people either. Because I tend to be a person who is eager to tell someone the truth, to protect the purity of God's word, and maybe a little too ready to help people see the error of their ways, I think I'm actually pretty fortunate that I don't live in a cave all alone eating locusts and wild honey. So I'm not going to say that I'm a prophet with a capital P, okay? But there have been, been a lot of times when I have felt the Spirit lead me to say something to someone. Maybe, maybe an encouragement, maybe a rebuke. See, the best thing about prophecy, as I understand it, is you don't have to prepare anything. You just have to be willing to speak. Or brave enough to take someone's belt off and tie you up and, you know, lay on the floor. Sometimes. Whatever it is that God tells you to do, you have to be brave enough to do that. Here's the thing. I think growing in our faith mostly boils down to this. It's us learning to listen for our assignments and then following through on them. In closing, here's a few practical thoughts on prophets and prophecy. There are still prophets in the church. Acts 13:1. among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Mananean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas and Saul who is also called Paul Acts 15:32 then Jude and Silas both being prophets spoke at length to the believers encouraging and strengthening their faith Ephesians 4:11 Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists And the pastors and teachers. The prophet speaks God's word, not their own. So in Jeremiah 23 31, it says, I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say, this prophecy is from the Lord. And then in verse 36, he says, stop using the phrase prophecy from the Lord or word from the Lord because people are using it to give authority to their own ideas, turning upside down the words of the living God. And this is big. Second Peter one twenty. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. See, the, pro- the words of a prophet are to be tested by whether or not they're true. If what they say doesn't come to pass or if it contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture, then they're not a true prophet. Which means there are false prophets. In Matthew seven fifteen, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. If someone claims to have a word from the Lord, but they don't speak the truth, they lie, they... They don't they don't speak in love they don't point to Jesus then they're a false prophet so don't listen to them don't fear them don't pay any attention to them at all a true prophet is to speak in love 1st Corinthians 13 2 if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. If I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. But if someone claims to have a word from the Lord, they claim, but they only tell you what you want to hear, that's not the same thing as speaking the truth in love. See, saying nice things that, that people want to hear, that's not speaking in love. If, because if they don't speak the truth, and if they don't encourage you to seek Jesus, obey him even when it's hard, follow him even when it's difficult, then those words are as dangerous as poison, because a true prophet will always point to Jesus. Revelation 19.10, Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify, testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. When a whole bunch of his good friends prophesied, warning him not to go, or else he will suffer and be imprisoned. See, if the prophecy was given merely as a way to protect Paul and kind of make him feel comfortable and happy, then the message would have been go someplace safe and hide. The prophecy wasn't to protect Paul's body, it was to protect his faith and to protect the faith of the people who loved him. Now, Paul was obedient to Jesus. He listened to what God was telling him. He went to Jerusalem. He was tied up, turned over to the Romans, and all of this was for the glory of Christ. May we listen for our assignments, and may we speak the truth when the Spirit gives us those words, and may we Listen for the assignments that he gives to us. May we have wisdom to understand what people are saying through people to us when we're warned that we may face trouble, we may suffer for his name, but may we have the courage to continue because we want to be a people who speak the truth in love but always point to Jesus. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for Jesus, and we ask, we ask right now that you would, um, that you would make clear the path that is before us, the assignments that you have for us. That you would help us to hear your word um, from from the scripture, from our friends and maybe even occasionally from strangers. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.